Hey, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks for closing out the week with us on this Thursday. Hope you all are doing well as we continue through Luke. Um, Luke and, and only Luke has a series of stories after the birth of Jesus. There are three stories, essentially, two from Jesus' infancy and one from his childhood. And these are really the only words like this that we hear. They're not anywhere else. Yesterday, we looked at the prophet Simeon, who was uh, at the temple and recognized Jesus as Messiah. Today, we follow up on that theme here as we meet um, a woman named Anna. So verse 36, let's read through this, and then we can talk about it. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At the moment she came, she began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Michael, not a not a character we meet anywhere else in Scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, fascinating that they use the word prophet or prophetess of a woman. Also interesting that we're told she never leaves the temple. She was widowed after seven years, or she now is eighty-four. There's a little bit of um, there's a little lack of clarity in the actual language, but it appears as though the text is telling us she was married seven years and then is 84 at the time of this, which is um, a significant age in Jesus' day and time. But she prays, she fasts, she's devout. She is a prophetess, which, again, is a, a rare word that we encounter very occasionally in Scripture. And uh, when she sees the child, she begins to praise God and speak about the child again to all who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, language similar to what we heard yesterday in the Simeon story. Um, we want to keep on track here because this is obviously a story about Jesus. That is the meta narrative here. That's the through line. And yet we have this moment where we meet this woman who, by all accounts, seems to be a remarkable woman. And it is in some ways remarkable that she's in the story. We have a few cases now already in Luke where we have some placement of, you know, the person's lineage. And here that happens again. Uh, we're told here that not only uh, is she a prophetess, but she's uh, also someone who has a standing within the nation. She She's a person who comes from the tribe of Asher, as you have here in your text. And I think uh, we saw Zechariah, uh, and um, I believe we were told that he is of the lineage of Aaron, so that puts him in that Levitical strand. I mean, these characters, Luke has uh, at certain points sort of wanted to make sure that we see that there's a bridge to that Old Testament, that promise made to the people of Israel. Here that happens again. Uh, Clint has already emphasized how rare this title of prophetess is used in the scripture. I think that's very helpful. And I think when you put that together, the idea of the rareness of that title, the fact that she's of the tribe of Asher, and she's of great age, and she's obviously faithful because it, the text says in our translation here, never left the table, a, a temple, excuse me, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. I, the 
the implication of this is that this woman is very fervent in her faith. She's very faithful to the practice of that faith. And so here we see in her lips, almost as if Luke is going to balance what we had in yesterday's study when Simeon sees the child and then uh, launches into this beautiful song of praise. Here, it's as if Luke wants us to know, but he's not the only one. Here, Anna, this older woman, she, this faithful woman, this person deeply connected to the history of Israel, she too sees the Savior, and she praises God and speaks about the child for whom the people were waiting for, for this redemptive work. And I think, Clint, you know, that's, it's vintage Luke. It's a person that doesn't get mentioned in other Gospels. It's a story that we only have in this place. It's a title given to a woman that if we could understand the context and day in which it was written and handed off was in many ways shocking uh, for a woman uh, to be told that. I mean, just remember, we have in some of the pastoral works that come later in our New Testament, literal words about women speaking in public, speaking in gathered assemblies and things like this. And I think the fact that she is praising God, speaking about the child, seeing him for who he is. I mean, this is a momentous moment, and Luke records it in a way that I think we are incredibly grateful that he does. Yeah. You know, it's always, you have to always be careful trying to ascribe motives to a writer that did his work so long ago. But in this story already, we've seen praise given of Elizabeth, saying that she was devout. Mary has been called favored one and responded with this beautiful lyric or the song of Mary. Now we have Anna. Clearly, Luke is not at all um, resistant to the idea of faithful, active women, the women for whom the Holy Spirit is important, for whom their faith is is central to their lives. Luke has already, in just these two chapters, lifted that up in in at least three instances in significant ways. The other part of this, I think we see, Michael, particularly when we couple it with the story we're going to see next, is that the temple matters in the early part of the story of Luke. You know, that Simeon is there, Anna is there, you have these two... Um, though they're different genders, you have an older man who's had a promise from God filled with the Spirit. You have a devoted older woman who's been through difficulty in life and recognizes Jesus. Both of them recognize Jesus and respond with praise. And that happens at the temple. And that sort of leads us to our third story, which is, I think, one that um, a lot of people know. It's really the only story we have of Jesus' childhood. Now, there are others that don't make the Scripture, but in the Bible, in the four Gospels that we know as Scripture, this is really the only one. First, we get told, verse 39, when they finished everything required by the law, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So here we just have a general uh, reference to Jesus growing um, that transition essentially from boy to either young man, probably that's more fitting in their culture. Um, we're gonna, we're going to hear a story when Jesus is about 12. 12 seems awfully young for the idea of young man for us, but in Jesus' culture, it wouldn't have been 
that unthinkable to be 13, 14 on the verge of manhood, to have significant responsibility, to, to be, to be pretty close to what would have been considered adulthood, at least in, in many ways. So let's jump in there and uh, I'll read this for you. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. When they started to look for him among their relatives and friends, they did not find him. Then they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who had heard him were amazed. They were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years in divine and human favor. So again, the only childhood story we have, and it's a strange one, um, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus go to make what is probably an annual, well, it tells us that, an annual pilgrimage to the temple, again, suggesting that they're devout, suggesting that they follow the customs and requirements of their faith. This time at 12, Jesus is there and doesn't return with them. They're traveling in a group, probably a large group of family and friends or people that are headed back to the same direction. And so Jesus um, is sort of lost in the shuffle. They realize it. They go back. Um, probably, the, uh, probably the reference to gone three days is the the day they traveled, the day they missed him and found him on the next day. In other words, the third day. It's possible that it means it took them three days in Jerusalem to find him, though that that seems less likely. But I, it's possible. Again, the language has some looseness to it. Um, and when they do find Jesus, this is the point of the story, not how long it took. When they find him, they are astounded by what they see. Jesus is teaching. Uh, this 12-year-old boy is not only speaking with adults, which would have been relatively uncommon, they are amazed at what he is saying. And, I mean, this is one of those stories, Michael, that uh, tells us a couple things. It kind of establishes Jesus' pedigree. Um, it gives us a foreshadowing of what is to come, of Jesus being a teacher, of people being amazed. Um, and then it introduces this idea of my father's house, which we can get to in a moment. But, uh, again, we don't, we don't see a story like this really in any other gospel, but it it fits how we like to think of Jesus, and it's an interesting addition here in Luke. There's several things happening that I think are important. The first is looking back at the ground we've already traveled here today. That's to remember that when Luke wants to tell us a historical account, an account built upon witnesses, and he wants to lay out for us the story of Jesus, his birth, and his growth, it's fascinating what just amazing sections of time he's going to skip over. The brevity of this account should strike us that in less than two days of this study, we're going to go from him being born to all 
of the stuff that's going to relate to him being before his adult ministry. And so here we have this prophecy that happens. Then immediately following that, we have what I think is just a, a, a fascinating short little section in our Bibles where it says the child grew, became strong, filled with wisdom, favor of God's upon him. As if that's it, as if that's the story to be told. Now we're skipping ahead in time. Now we come to this text, that the text in the temple. And yes, it does demonstrate the family's faith, their their willingness to put down work and to do what is asked of them. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, the families were expected, if they were able, to go to Jerusalem for three feasts a year. So whether they did that or not, we don't know if they kept all of them, but we know that they kept this, it says annually. And so what's what's striking here, though, is how Jesus is astonishing these teachers of the law, but not just them. He's also astonishing his parents, because we have that here in verse uh, 48. Um, his mother said, why have you treated uh, us like this? Um, been searching for you in great anxiety. The commentators point out the, um, the, the great anxiety here is a, is a forceful word, that it's actually rarely used. So the idea here that they were, they were shocked, and um, even you know Joseph and Mary when they find him here in verse 48 they are they're struck um in, in the midst of this seeing him the anxiety of the moment um and then Jesus says to them something that I think we we've got to know that Luke is always telling this story in relation to the story that he knows he's going to tell um we haven't read it yet but we're going to get there Jesus says to his parents, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And we're going to hear later in this book, Jesus is going to ask a very remarkably similar question. Uh, why are you searching for me? Or, or who are you searching for? And that here they find him in the temple. They're later going to find him resurrected. And I think that the amazing bookends that Luke is going to present here, that Jesus is about the work of doing astonishing things from the very beginning of his life through literally the end of his life and beyond. And that's already been set up in a narrative like this. It's set in the temple to start. It's going to end with Jesus becoming the temple, who becomes the sacred place for the, the sake of all people. And yes, that's rushing ahead in the text, but if you get farther down the road, you're going to see that all of these sort of bricks come together to make the building. There, there's a sense, I think, in which the story, the as it moves toward the conclusion, it is a reminder for the reader uh, um, that Luke is not telling what we might think of as a biography. In other words, if you read biographies at all, a person's childhood is generally highlighted. There's a great deal of connection made between our growing up and, and the people of our childhood and what we go on to do. Here, Luke is minimizing that. We do get this story because it fits Luke's purposes. But notice here at the question, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That is a poignant reminder of where Jesus comes from, of who his father is. In the context of the story, that detail matters. And then notice, um, especially so, and I think the convincing thing in that is the next verse, but they did not understand what he said to them. And this is really the first time we've seen that kind of phrase in Luke. We're going to see it more, but in regard to Jesus claims something about himself, 
and they didn't understand what he said. They didn't get the significance of him calling the temple my father's house at this point. It, that's not clear yet. Um, and then, you know, to soften that, we do get this. They return to Nazareth. Then you have this wonderful line again. His mother treasured all these things in her heart as, um, as a way of storytelling. Luke uses Mary to be the voice of what all this means. She's pondering, she's treasuring, and that is a signal to the reader that we ought to be doing the same thing. And so here, here we have that. And then uh, verse 52, again, this, this massive jump. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in age and in divine and human favor. In other words, Jesus continues to be well-rounded. Jesus continues to grow in all of the ways that a person needs to grow. And um, that sets the stage for then Luke to be ready to move on and tell the ministry aspect of Jesus' story, which doesn't take him proportionally long to get to, two chapters, but um, the Gospel of Mark, for instance, starts there. The Gospel of John, in many ways, starts there. Um, so Luke has given us a little bit of a prelude, but not much of one, though he has used it well. And as we turn the corner to Jesus' adulthood, with this material in the background, we have a pretty good foreshadowing of some of the some of what's coming, I think. We've already seen Mary treasuring and pondering numerous times, and I think it's worth noting uh, that there's a personal—it's not just even storytelling. You can almost imagine Luke having had interviewed and questioned Mary, and there's almost a personal note to a story like this, a reminder that Jesus, when he came— didn't just change the world, he changed individual people's lives, and he changed his mother's life forever. And for all of the skipping that happens in this story, for the brevity of that backstory, there's these beautiful human moments, and even words like this, which would be easy to pass over, Jesus increases in wisdom and in years, and in divine and human favor. I, that's a beautiful way of saying that as he grows, he, do, he looks more and more um, like the God uh, who sent him as as the son, he looks more and more in favor amongst those humans who he lives with and around, and and he continues to grow. It, it's it is striking, Clint. I think it's easy for us to to open up a book like Luke and to want to skip ahead to where's the good stuff, where's the miracles and the teaching and the stuff that drives the story forward. But here, Luke makes it clear that from the very, very first parts of the story that actually begin before Jesus, God has been doing significant, substantial, wondrous, pondersome, even type works. And here we see Mary as she sort of becomes an exemplar for who we are to be. And as people to hear this, to receive it, to reflect upon it, and allow that to mean something in our lives as well. Yeah, I think Luke is working hard to paint uh, a picture of Jesus that we are astounded by, that makes us ponder, that makes us treasure. Um, it's less profound, Michael, but one last detail here. Um, in case anybody were inclined to read this and think, oh, Jesus hid from his parents, and then he kind of gave them a salty answer when they asked where he was, um, notice that Luke 
anticipates that with verse 51. He went down them with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. So Luke wants to make sure we understand that Jesus, the adult, of course, is going to live obediently. But in fulfilling that role, he is fulfilling that in his family as well. And so he is an obedient child. He is a good child. He is not wayward. And and in case anyone were uh, tempted to think there's some disrespect in this story, I think Luke just wants to make sure that we understood that's not what he was telling us. Well, yeah. I mean, Luke has told us um, through other means, such as like Zachariah, a statement that might not be read as being a statement of a lack of faith. Luke makes it clear to us, the reader, what's actually happening there. And sure. I think that uh, Luke's a good writer for that. That said, I think, Clint, you're right to point out we're at the end of a week here in the middle of this study. Next week, we're going to turn the page. We're going to be in the third chapter. And in many ways, we now uh, build upon this foundation that Luke has laid, and we move into the story that many of the os- other gospel writers are going to begin with. And so we turn our attention to the proclamation of John the Baptist as he reenters the story, and we kick this off in a new in a new stage. Yeah, we we move into the the heart of the story Luke wants to tell us, which is the ministry of Jesus. We get kind of a reunion and a crossover with John the Baptist to pick that story up, um, but only to point us toward the Jesus story ultimately. So hope you can be with us next week. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for listening. We're grateful for the time and hope there's something in it that is helpful or interesting. Uh, as always, let us know. Mm-hmm.